0: Hi, I'm Chris Clink, and you're listening to my Writing Table podcast. Clink Hay Diamond, otherwise known as Darby Kane, is a former divorce lawyer, turned best-selling author of more than forty romantic suspense, contemporary, and erotic romance books and novellas. Her books have been featured in various national and international venues, and she has had two books named Red Hot Reads in Cosmo Magazine. She is a four-time Rita Award finalist in Romantic Suspense and is a 2018 Rita Award winner for The Fixer. She is also a Reviewer's Choice Best Book Award winner in Romantic Suspense for The Fixer. In addition to writing, Helen Kay is the chair of the Policy Advisory Committee of the Romance Writers of America and frequently teaches workshops and classes on fiction writing and romance writing. She lives in San Diego where she is or should be working on her next series, but she might be streaming a show on Netflix. You're Helen Kay, but you're also Darby Kane. I'm still getting used to that. Obviously, your brand has been Helen Kay Diamond for a long time and writing romantic suspense, contemporary erotic romance. And then you started going like heavy suspense under Darby Kane. So how does that happen? Like, does your agent say okay, you're going to need a new brand for that piece.
1: Like where does that come from? I've been writing romance since I think my first single title came out in 2007. So I've written contemporary romance and romantic suspense, and I love writing romantic suspense, but I got to the point, this was like just pre-pandemic where I didn't want to write a book with a happy ending. And I know that sounds weird, but I've always loved thrillers. I've always loved mystery. I've always loved suspense and combining that with romance. I don't, I think people realize how difficult that is. Like the idea of somewhere when people are in danger, you have to be creating this Ongoing feeling that they're coming together, they're falling in love, and that can be difficult. And I thought I'd really like to try a thriller that didn't have those same happy ever after kind of requirements. And the reason I took the different name is it's really important to me when people pick up a Helen K. Diamond book that they know they're going to get that happy ever after, right? Like, I'm not going to kill the hero on page 452. That's not going to happen in a Helen K. Diamond book. So since I had spent so many years of kind of building that brand and making that promise, I thought, you know, I'm making a different promise when I write a thriller. And even though it sounds like a lot to start a new name and figure out social media into names and oh (laughs) my gosh, it just seemed like a smart thing to me to do it under a different name. And that way, if somebody said, wow, you know, there's no like happiness together at the end, I'd be like, well, it's a different name. And you can tell by the covers and the branding and everything else. And my publisher was really, really supportive. I had the same editor for romance that I do for Thriller. It's Mae Chen at Collins for romance I've written under you know Avon. Thriller's I ran under William Morrow. It's all under the same umbrella. And she gets my writing. So she really understood kind of the need for two names and understood that I wanted to try something a little
0: different and was very supportive of it. You remain an attorney, but you don't practice since moving to California. So when did you know you had to begin writing fiction?
1: I began writing when I was still practicing as an attorney. I lived in the DC metro area and my specialty area was like contested custody cases, the least romantic and happy thing in the world. And writing was an outlet for me. Something I did on the side where my mind could go somewhere else. Honestly, what happened was Lori Foster, who a lot of people know probably, back then she used to run this contest off her website where you could send three pages and she would pick her favorites and she would send those top 20 favorites to her then editor at Kensington. And I was a finalist, Sylvia Day was a finalist, that there are a lot of us who were picked. So, you know, once I was picked, it seemed like an opportunity I did not want to throw away. I'm very lucky. I have a spouse who's supportive and he said, you know, you can do this as a hobby on the side, or if you really want to go for it now. A time, go for it. Like, let's just see. I got really lucky because what that did was it shortcut you know how long it takes, right? You, you you find an agent, you're writing books on spec, you know, you're writing these 300, 400 page books. This really shortcut it because Kate Duffy looked at three pages and, you know, she's, she was in the business forever. And she said, I can tell from three pages if you have it, or if you don't have it. And she said, you have it, this is just the wrong book. You're going to put it aside. You know, so I had somebody who said, not this, Put it aside. Don't work at it for 400 years. Put it aside. Come up with a new idea. You tell me the idea. I tell you if I want you to go ahead and write a couple chapters of it or not. And it took 18 months and I sold. But it, it was such a almost like an apprentice role. It's an opportunity just don't get. And I'm incredibly grateful to Lori Foster for running that contest, for Kensington for being a part of it, and for Kate Duffy who launched my career. She's no longer with us, but incredibly grateful she bought a novella. At the time, Kensington did these anthologies where they would put like a big star, an emerging star. It was Aaron McCarthy in mine and a debut person together in these anthologies to kind of get your name out there. So she bought a novella and then she bought, I think like two more books. And on the third book, I got an agent. Before that, you naively think, hey, I'm a lawyer. How hard is it to read a contract? And then you read a publishing contract and you're like, wow, that's not, wow. Congratulations to lawyers and publishing for coming up with something that's that's like almost inconceivable. Uh, So I got an agent then, and I've had two agents in my career. My agent I've had now is the one who helped me launch the thriller career. I've had her for probably, gosh, time flies, doesn't it? 10 years, maybe?
0: Laura Bradford. Yeah, she's awesome. She is. She is. She is a fun lady. Aside from your suspense work, were any of your characters inspired by your work as a divorce attorney?
1: Not specifically, but in kind of a broad way. When you practice in the DC area, you end up representing... I think a lot of FBI agents, Secret Service, and right, and there's a certain type of personality that goes into those careers, and that personality type worked well for me when I was doing romantic suspense. The other way I think it helped was, you know, when you're dealing with divorce, people are not at their best. You hear a lot and you start to realize kind of why they became the people they became, like the things that happened to them. And I have always used that as a reminder when I'm building characters, that people are never just what you see in front of you. They are this combination of things from the past that have happened to them, that that they've overcome, that they haven't overcome. That's what I try to put into characters, not anyone specific. Everything is fictional, but the idea of people being more than
0: one thing. Tell us a little bit about your first Darby Kane book.
1: The first book is Pretty Little Wife. When I was writing thrillers, what I wanted to really write about was kind of this idea of justice and fairness really not being a bright line and how the court system works and how you feel the need for revenge and vigilantism and how trauma impacts all that. I wanted to kind of pack all that into writing thrillers and Pretty Little Wife. It's the non-romance, you know, from pretty much, I think like chapter two, or if you read the back cover copy, killed her husband. She plants his body. She thinks it's going to be discovered. And then his body disappears. Like she's waiting and waiting and nobody's finding his body. So now she has a problem because now her husband's missing. And once a spouse is missing, what happens? Everybody looks at the spouse that's still there. It was a completely great process for me in writing this book in a couple of ways. I love to write series. And by that, I mean, you write a group of undercover operatives. So in one book, you write about one guy and then the next, you write about another guy and et cetera. So, and when I was writing thrillers, I said, this is going to be a standalone. Anything I know about this world, you probably do this with whims fiction, right? Everything I know about this world is going into this book. I'm not saving anything. I'm not leaving anything on the table for the next book. Everything goes in this book. And there's something very powerful about that this is it. There's not going to be a loose end where you're wondering what happened to this guy or this lady. It's not going to happen. And when I found out I sold this book, I was on a writer's retreat with a bunch of friends in Chicago and they were all lovely and they all did what we all do. What's the book about? You know, people ask me that and I'm always like, Bleh. it's just like, this is, you wrote it. Why don't you know what it's about? An hour later, you're still talking about, <laughs> and then there's this brother <laughs> and then. The then we leg- go <laughs> to lunch. Yeah. It's like, that's not working. I hadn't written the book yet. Cause again, I sold to my own editor. So I think I'd written a chapter and I realized that I couldn't put what the book was about in any kind of pithy way, like a, which in my mind meant it's not special enough yet. It's not distinct enough from a lot of other domestic thrillers that I've read. So what makes my book distinct? And I sat there and I'm like, well, what makes mine distinct is that it's not a whodunit. It's a, why did she do it? Right? Like we know she killed him. So the theory in my mind, whenever I thought of the book, was she killed her husband and she put his body right there. And now where is it? That's really what the book is about. And once I started thinking of it that way, then it was like easier to write and frame it around. And I had never had that experience when writing romances. I came at it a different way. It was great fun to write about it, but yes, it's about a woman for reasons you don't know at the beginning. the good reasons, though, I swear. kills her husband, his body disappears, and then it's why did she do it? Where did the body go? And what is the bigger picture here? Because there's something way bigger than just I'm an angry woman, although she's very angry.
0: Not to oversimplify romance, but romance does have a bit of a recipe and that certain things have to happen at certain points. And then, of course, happily ever after, happy for now. I understand suspense takes a lot more time in plotting because you have all these little puzzle pieces that have to fit and layer how did you approach that?
1: It's interesting because my process changed, right? We always get asked process questions, right? As writers, you know, are you a pantser? Are you a plotter or the George R.R. R. Martin? Are you an architect? Are you a gardener? And I always thought to myself, I'm pretty much a pantser. Like I have an idea, but I have to sit down and write. And that didn't work for me with the thriller. For me, I had to wrap my head around a little more pieces of what going to happen. So what I did is I bought this huge whiteboard on the Whiteboard, I divided it into columns. And it was kind of what Lila, my main character, knows, what I know, what the reader knows, and then a column of things I'm going to have to divulge over time. And for a couple of weeks before, I would write a little bit and be thinking about the characters and getting, you know, a scene or two down. But I was really spending a lot of time with the whiteboard and with the notebook, kind of moving those pieces around on the board. Who really knows what, when, how do I divulge? And then what characters do I need? And then how do I make those characters more than just kind of one dimensional so that they add to the story? So there was a lot more of kind of what I would call prep time, not outlining, but prep time. And then I sat down and I started writing and I go through the process of, I like this. Why did I ever do this? I wonder if there's a job open at Target. You you know that process, right? (laughs) That's the writing process.
0: Complete (laughs) crap. Oh, I'm (laughs) a genius. (laughs) Exactly. You know, that genius
1: stage, though, lasts so short for me. Right back to, how did I ever do this before? Like, how did I ever write a book before? And once I start writing, and I always have a notebook next to me, and my whiteboard's behind me, and I can move stuff around, eventually, the book starts to fall in my head. The first 100 pages is a slog for me. Like those first 25, it's all shiny and pretty, but the 25 to 100 or 125 is such work because that's when I'm really writing and figuring out what this book is and how it's going to look. And then it starts to fall in my head and I can do a really brief outline that literally is like, I need a chapter that says X. I need a chapter that says Y and put it together. So it's a convoluted mess of a process, I would say. And it's probably somewhere between plotter and pantser, but it is interesting that switching genres made me switch a little bit how I write. How
0: long did it take you to write Pretty Little Wife?
1: Feels like 400 years, but that's not true. (laughs) I'm on my third. So Pretty Little Wife came out. The Replacement Wife comes out in December. I'm about 250 pages into the third one. And in all three of them, I forced myself at the beginning not to just jump in and write, but to do some kind of pre-planning. And then the actual writing, I don't, is it like this for you? Like once it hits and it's in my head, then it's like a battle of how fast I can get it down on the page. The training wheels
0: are off. You are sliding downhill.
1: I like, I feel kind of anxious because I'm like, okay, I get it now. So now I want it all written down. And there's no, of course, way you can write it down that quickly once it comes to your head. But I love that feeling when it clicks. I'm going to say four months I think the actual writing is a lot less than that, but they give me six and I probably use about four.
0: What does that first draft look like? Do you have to go back and shine it up before you send it to your editor or is it pretty good to go? It's pretty
1: good to go only because of this. I revise every day. This process is nonsense. So nobody should do this at home. I revise every day. It's the one way I kind of force myself to start is I go backwards and I revise to where I am it helps me with continuity and layering also drives myself a little bit to madness. By the time I get to the end of the book, I have read the entire book so many times, right? And chunks of it over and over and over again, that it's actually pretty clean. I can get away with one more, sometimes two more reads. And then by that point, you know, you're changing buts back to ands and ands back to butts, And then I'm like, okay, now I got to let it go. How I- many books have you published? Oh man, I knew you were going to ask that question. Romance, I
0: would say, you know, 50. Wow, Well, you know, I'm a big fan of Apricot Lane Peoria's huge selection of the latest styles, all at price points that don't break my budget. Because come on, keeping up with the changing styles shouldn't require a major investment. At Apricot Lane Peoria's easy to use website, you'll find sharp clothes, shoes, and accessories. And let them give you a hand with those last minute holiday gifts. My favorite is a Sid and Stone throw blanket. It's soft, cozy, and bound to make a statement in any home. I love snuggling up with mine. Visit apricotlanepeoria.com and pick out your favorites. For a limited time, use discount code lovejoy20. That's lovejoy J O Y two zero and receive 20% off your purchase. Discount applies to item purchases and may not apply to shipping charges. Before it's too late, visit apricotlanepeoria.com and send gifts your loved ones will cherish. Now back to the Writing Table podcast.
1: I love true crime. and. I
0: had seen more than one
1: story where a man in the family had kind of this history of dead or missing women. Like the first wife died by falling off a cliff. The second wife grew um, Peterson, but he's not the only one. in fact, another guy also with the last name Peterson was the same way. And I was thinking to myself, how does this happen? An alarm doesn't go off. Like I would like to think I'd say to my brother, um, why do they keep falling off things
0: and dying? In my family, somebody new shows up. I'm Googling. Absolutely. (laughs) I know who, know who you are.
1: So I wanted to write about a guy who had either the worst luck with women or something else was going on. He wrote it from this perspective of his sister-in-law and she was friends with the fiance who in her mind is missing and everybody else's mind is, well, she was kind of a flighty, artsy type and just moved on, which doesn't make any sense to her. So she's dealing with the unraveling of what happened to my friend. Is my brother-in-law not the man? I think he is. Like I took him into the home. I have a kid. He's with my son all the time she's trying to figure out what's really going on. And while she's trying to unravel what's happening, somebody frankly is trying to unravel her a little bit. You know, it's one of those, is she an unreliable narrator or is there gaslighting? What's happening in this book and what did he do? If anything, there's a, it's called The Staircase and it's a documentary and it's about a guy whose wife fell down the stairs and did he kill her? And then you find out like when he lived in Germany, another woman fell down the stairs and you're like, like, wait, wait a minute. You're not even changing MO. You're just like randomly throwing women downstairs. I watched like the Dateline 48 hours and my husband calls it how I killed my wife and tried to get away with it. And I'm like, you're not wrong. They could rename it that and it would work. When I started writing thrillers, I had read that the majority of thrillers and true crime, it's women who consume this, right? And read it and watch it, which I thought it was fascinating. I had always read and watched, but it is interesting that it's women who are really the ones who are most interested. And I think it has something to do with knowing the evil that's out there. And that gives us some weird comfort, even though we know if evil comes to our door, there's probably only so much we can do. There is some kind of comfort that comes from the idea of, I've watched all of this stuff. So maybe I could pinpoint if somebody moved into my family and would be dangerous or or whatever.
0: What is the something special readers will always get when reading one of your books? Oh, man, When it was romance,
1: I think is, because I'm still writing as Helen K. Diamond, I think the something special is the idea that love can come from a lot of places and the idea of found families. I think... I think that is so important. Uh, not only the people that we are, you know, birthed into, to, um, and we grow up with as family members and we pick as our spouses, but those people you gather around you and how much they impact you and the love that comes from that. That's one of those things I always did. For the thrillers, I think the one thing is what I hope I do is let my characters talk about what justice means to them and do it in a non judgmental way right? Like I, as the author, am not saying right or wrong. And I'm just trying to let these characters and the reader decide where is the line? Like why is X okay and why it not okay? Because I think we all need to kind of look at that and think about it.
0: Yeah, I think the line is often a lot
1: blurrier than we want to believe. Right? It depends on the circumstances. It also depends on where you are. You're the victim's family. I think that line is a very different line. What are you reading now? I tend to read a lot of nonfiction and I I had been on a Jennifer Hillier binge. She writes incredible thrillers, doesn't pull any punches. I think she's a great thriller writer. I just read a book. I think it's called The Cold Vanish and it's nonfiction. And it's about all of these people who have basically disappeared in the wilderness. Like they go out hiking, they never come back. They find a car at the edge of the wilderness and the guys know we're there. And you think to yourself, I mean, how often can that happen? Oh my gosh, so much. I will now not go into the woods alone. That's what I've learned from this book. Do not go into the woods alone, uh, no matter where you live. It, It is a fascinating look, right? Because you're thinking, are people in search of solitude? Is it a, they want to end their lives? Is it evil? Like we don't know for so many of them. It's just this fascinating look at these different people in different places and what it does to the families they left behind, which is just devastating.
0: Mm. You know, I know just from seeing you in in your native habitat at (laughs) conferences that you have a group of fellow writers. So tell me how you and your fellow writers support each other through the best and worst of times.
1: We have a Slack chat where we daily talk about, and I think this piece is important, stuff that's writing and stuff that's not writing, right? The things that matter to us or worry us, you know, family stuff, health stuff, etc. outside of writing, but it is a place where you can ask any question. You can say the thing maybe you can't say to somebody else, <laughs> those kind of things. And that Slack chat, I, for me, it's a lifeline. I think there are six of us on it. And it's just where we can talk about about community and publishing and publishing is so hard, right? And switching genres, not switching genres, books that are doing well, what is the it factor that we're missing? You know, that kind of thing. Once a year, pre-pandemic, a group of part of the Slack chat has gone to Hawaii or nice. gone to Maui uh, for a week. And it is like, we rent a condo and we write. We're not writing. We just enjoy each other and the sun and relax. For me, I need time with other women just to to have that. I feel like I can say whatever I want to say and it's protected. If I am going off the rails, they'll tell me. This is a group that will say, put your laptop Down, get off Twitter, right? Like, this is that is this group. That's one of those things I think for new writers, I would say it's an organic thing, right? Because as you're starting and you see all these other writers together, you think, wow, I'd like to be a part of their group. No, what you really want is to find those people that for you are that support system. And it's a group of people who frankly are just as happy about your success as you are. They may think, wow, I hope that happens to me too, but they never think how dear it happened to you and not me. That's the supportive group of people. And it takes a while to find it. And we've all thought we've had some and then been like, "Mm, okay, that person's not supportive at all. But you find that group of people and it is just like magical. Do anything to protect that
0: group of people. When you're talking to somebody pretty close to the same level as you, you're dealing with a lot of the same issues. and It's true. And there's stuff that you don't understand at different levels
1: that once you, you know, you kind of switch or you move, you're like, wow, these are questions I didn't even know to ask. And now I have somebody I can ask. In your view, what is good writing? I think good writing is authentic writing, writing something you love, not because that's what's selling, not because that's what everybody seems to be buying in that moment, but it is a matter of what you love. Because I really do think when you love to read something and then you write it, that's part of that special it factor that gets on on the page. I remember coming up and you know, you'd go to a talk and someone would say something like all you have to do is write a good book. That is not true. <laughs> Everywhere I talk, I like to say, if somebody says that to you, it's okay to nod and then just leave the room because the reality is this business isn't fair. And the sooner that you accept it and kind of get your mind around it, it's not fair. It has nothing to do with oh, we came up together. Or, oh, there's no understanding of why some books hit and some books don't. Some books that are rate never get any attention. Some books that you see sitting on the New York Times, you're like, I thought it was good. But I mean, I I didn't, like it didn't take off in my head like it did for clearly a whole bunch of other people, which is great. Reading subjective. It should be different things to different people. But I think it's this alchemy of writing what you love, being persistent about and dedicated to the career, and then understanding that there is a piece of luck that you do not have any control over. And that doesn't mean you're a bad writer. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. It means you got to keep pushing until hopefully that luck hits for you. And I would have to say when I wrote the thriller, the luck hit in a very different way than it had when I was writing Romantic Suspense. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with, you know, sometimes it's that one person out there who finds your books and talks about it. For me, it was like, it was a book of the month club selection. And that takes you to a place that you have no control over. Like I don't have control of, Putting it in front of 700,000 readers. I can't do that. Book of the Month Club can. So a luck hits that it's not like, oh, wow, you're a way better writer in thrillers than you were in romantic suspense. I do not believe that. Every romantic suspense I wrote was the best book I could write in that minute. So I think understanding it's like there's this piece that's out of your control. And instead of internalizing it and saying, that means I'm a bad writer because I haven't had that piece. Don't do that. Just look for that luck to hit and try to look for those opportunities.
0: The Placement Wife comes out December, December 28th. 28th. Thank you, Helen Kay. This has been so fun. It's so fun. really it's enjoyed so talking nice to, talk to with you. you. To learn more, visit HelenKDiamond.com. Music by Pavel Uten and photography by Casey Meineke. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button and consider leaving a review.